Thank you all. Two skeletons are hanging in the corner of a closet. They're complaining about the heat, the dust, the boredom. What are we staying here for anyhow, one asked. And the second skeleton answers, I don't know. I'd leave here in a minute if I had any guts. <laughs> when we say something takes guts, <clears throat> we mean it takes courage. It takes guts to do the right thing instead of the easy thing. It takes guts to stand up against a bully for a friend. In Jesus' case, it took guts to go home to Nazareth. As a parallel, imagine if a young man who grew up at Calvary went away and got educated at, say, Liberty University, and then came back to Calvary. We would be delighted to celebrate his return and to listen to him talk passionately about the things that he learned. But what if he also brought back with him a new vision and a new mission that was a 120 degree shift from who we are? Even if he believed he was filled with the power of the Spirit, it would take guts to present something new, knowing how unwell this new vision would be received. So here we have Jesus in the synagogue where he was raised. Relatives are there, youth group leaders are there, deacons are there, all these people who've watched him grow up. And now he's back home after going away for a while. And like in our services, different people participated in various parts. Linda McKinnish Bridges says that any male could volunteer or be asked to pray or read portions from the Torah, the Jewish law, or the prophets. And likewise, any male could be asked to give the sermon. Readers, typically, though, were appointed before the service began. On this particular Sabbath, however, Jesus volunteers to read the section from the prophets. He stands to read on a special platform, as was the custom, And Jesus most likely was given the scroll that he requested, the scroll of Isaiah. He unrolls the scroll, finds the place, and begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release of the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed." These words from Isaiah already had been attached to the description of the Messiah who was to come, the Messiah for whom they were waiting. So listen to the activity of the Holy Spirit here. If we read a little bit farther backwards in Luke, we would have seen that Luke has told us how the Spirit descended on Jesus after he was baptized. Luke also emphasized the power of the Spirit that led Jesus out into the wilderness where he faced temptations. And now the Spirit prods Jesus to go back home and there to lay out his four-part agenda for his ministry. To preach good news to the poor, to preach release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and forth to set at liberty those who are oppressed. What if Jesus came here one Sunday morning 
and opened this pulpit Bible to Isaiah 61 and started reading there, what would our reaction be? You know what I think mine would be? When he started saying, well, the Spirit has sent me to do all these things, I want to say, I'm glad it's you and not me. (laughs) Because if we were anointed to do these things, we could come up with all kinds of rationalizations, couldn't we? But Jesus, we don't have time to preach good news to the poor. We have to spend time studying the Bible. But Jesus, we don't have time to visit the prisoners and set them free of their emotional and spiritual bonds. That's what we pay ministers and chaplains to do. But Jesus, if we liberated the people who are oppressed, we'd have to give up some of the things we love, like certain clothes and cheap utilities and food and coffee that don't pay the farmers a living wage. My Bible study buddy, George Anderson, gave me a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn's The Gulag Archipelago. As a prisoner at the Gulag back in the early 1900s, early to mid, the main character ruminates. Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts. Inside us, it oscillates with the years. And even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. And even in the best of all hearts, there remains an unuprooted small corner of evil. If Solzhenitsyn is right, then we can feel disappointment and relief all at once. It's disappointing to realize that a leash will always restrain us from being completely good and righteous. Our motivations will not always be pure. Our egos will not always be fulfilled. Our addictions will never be completely satisfied. How frustrating it is and how disappointing to think about that aspect of his quote. And at the same time, it's a relief to realize that we are not alone. That many of us want to be good and even strive to be good, and yet there is always that corner of evil within our hearts, within every one of us, against which all of us fight. And because we know this about each other, we can stand together as people who know we are broken and weak, but never alone. It is to us Jesus comes. He comes with the power of the Spirit to bind our wounds, to preach freedom to us, to take away our blindness and show us his vision, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Not just a moment of God's favor. God's favor is not upon us just in these moments we spend at the church house. God's favor is not upon us only when we're bowing our heads with our eyes closed. God's favor is upon us every moment of every hour of every day of every year. 
We have a neighbor who is, in our opinion, overly grateful. Once when we kept their kids hermit crabs while they went on vacation, we received a loaf of bread upon their return. Another time they gave us a cake for feeding those little hermit crabs. I guess maybe at least we didn't kill them. When their son spends the night with us, we receive a nice thank you note in the mail. Now for us, this is just, it's no big deal. It's what neighbors do, and it's fun. For them, it's a bigger deal. And I wonder if that's sort of like God's favor, that overabundance. In John 10.10, Jesus is quoted as saying, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, abundantly. Our attention to the power of the Holy Spirit helps us to live an abundant life. What would it take to remind you of that every other day of the week? What if you put a post-it note on your computer or bathroom mirror that said, where is the Spirit at work today? Or simply, watch. Watch. The congregation was watching Jesus after he rolled up that scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down, which is the typical place of, of teaching. It's reversed from what we do. And then Jesus began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Jesus has been set apart by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that same Spirit, 2,000 years later, continues to empower us to do God's important work. And we have multiple opportunities to do that. The Evelyn Townsend Mission Circle and the men's group are leading us in a mission project next month to serve lunch to the homeless people at Samaritan Inn. The missions committee offers us a chance to contribute monthly to an organization that serves others. This month, it's school supplies for Hurt Park Elementary. Next month, it's for the Baptist Friendship House, which is two blocks away and serves at-risk families. Every time you leave this church building and encounter a neighbor, somebody walking across the parking lot or walking by you on the sidewalk, it's an opportunity to smile and greet them warmly and welcome them to worship and learn and serve with us. The Spirit is at work here and now. The Spirit is at work when church members lead small group members to discover new insights about God. The Spirit is at work when congregation members use their gifts to build up and guide the church, like David Kinsey coming early on Sunday mornings to make sure we have heat, and Betty Hall cleaning up the sanctuary every time it's used, and Patrick Stanley washing the dishes every Wednesday night. The Spirit is at work when committees meet together and brainstorm something new that, with an idea that no one would have arrived at alone. Jesus had his work to do, but we have ours as well. We can't leave it to him. He needs our hands and our feet and our voices and our ears. And we need the Holy Spirit to tell us how to use them. And so our call today is to trust that spirit. In Sunday school class, we were talking about one of Clarence Jordan's comments about how we 
plug in. We don't just go off and do things, even though they might be good things, but we plug into the Holy Spirit. We plug into God to realize what would be the best things to do. And then we act. Trust that Holy Spirit. Let's put ourselves out there for others to see the good part within our hearts, and even the struggle between good and evil that all of us face. Non-churchgoers don't want to see fakeness. They want to see authenticity. And it may help them to realize that God is not fake, and that God wants to be a part of their lives, and does so through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray and invite that spirit among us. Holy One, we know that your spirit has been active throughout the years, centuries, and millennia, and all of eternity. We thank you for that spirit, for that aspect of yourself that is within us, guiding us, giving us a conscience helping us to do good. Lord our God, we pray for a greater recognition of that Spirit and the power of the Spirit at work within us. Help us to watch. Help us to listen. Help us to see. Help us to plug in to you so that our actions would be godly actions. O Holy Lord, we recognize you as the one whom we seek to serve. We recognize you as the one that we, to whom we want to surrender our lives. And we recognize that that is difficult. And we know you recognize that too. And so we pray again for your help for your strength, for courage to let go of the fears that hold us back, for courage to let go of our concern about what others think, for courage to take on your mission of release and proclamation and favor for all. Lord our God, we are grateful in our hearts for the work that you are doing in this church and in our neighborhood, in our community, and in our world. And as you guide us to be your servants, we look forward to what we can do together. We look forward to getting to know each other, to serving together, to learning together and into becoming more faithful together. We thank you also for the privilege of praying for people who are dear to us. We ask your special blessing upon Ernie and Janice, and on Kim as she is there as well, helping to care for and guide them into good days. We thank you for your care for Buddy and Alice Garrett, and ask that you would continue to be with them as Buddy's knee heals. We pray for Mary Ellen Gearhart as she continues to grieve the death of her mother. 
And Lord, I pray also for Jack and Lois Trent, who are dealing with some challenges in their families as well. Teach us, we pray, to care and to show others our care and to show others how to care. Come, Holy Spirit. Come into us, work through us, shine through us, and brighten our world. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.